Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your co-host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And with me today is my co-host and media consultant of the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thanks for getting on. And we also have our administrative executive, Michelle Bennett. How are you doing today, Michelle? How are you, John? Thanks for having me and greetings to all. Thanks for being here, Michelle. And we also have special guest, Mel Reeves, community editor of the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I got to give you, uh, so I'm actually the editor. We call myself, we call us, they call me the community editor because the, the publisher felt like that will give us a little more cachet. So it's kind of a funny thing, but I'm, I'm actually the editor of the paper. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Sorry about that. That's a good All right. All right. Now, before we head into our main topic, which is the uh, Derek Chauvin trial, let's talk about some other news topics in our general news roundup. And the first topic of the day is financial support for minority-owned businesses. Minority-owned businesses in Cincinnati could gain financial support to help them weather the COVID-19 shutdowns and restrictions if the city council approves setting aside $4 million from stimulus funds received from the American Recovery Act, the latest round of stimulus funding being distributed in President Joe Biden's effort to get Americans back on their feet. The initiative is known as Ascend Cincy. Mayor John Cranley was joined March 25th by leadership of the Urban League of Greater Southwestern Ohio, the African-American Chamber of Commerce, and the Minority Business Accelerator at the African-American Chamber to announce a stimulus proposal intended to support local minority-owned businesses that have been hit hardest by the corona pandemic. Data shows 30% of Black-owned businesses closed due to the impacts of the economic recession caused by the pandemic. Moving on to our second topic, which is about new voting laws in Georgia. Lawmakers in Georgia have given final passage to the GOP-sponsored legislation that seeks a sweeping overhaul of state election law on Thursday. Shortly after the bill was passed, Republican Governor Brian Kemp signed this bill into law. It includes provisions that would add new restrictions on voting by mail and giving the legislative greater control over how elections are run. Democrats and voting rights groups complain that the bill would disproportionately disenfranchise voters of color. And moving on to our third topic, which is COVID safety at the banks. City Councilman David Mann wants the administration to evaluate whether a new open container zone at the banks is complying with basic COVID precautions and whether the new rules should be modified until the pandemic is over. We all look forward to the day when we can move around mask-free without social distancing, wrote Councilman and mayoral candidate David Mann in a motion filed on Tuesday morning. That moment is getting close, but we cannot risk causing a setback with a surge of new cases. Man's motion comes less than a week after the 85-acre designated outdoor refurbishment area, also known as Dora, opened at the banks stretching from the Heritage Bank Center to Paul Brown Stadium. The Dora allows bar and restaurant patrons to move freely through the local streets with beverages in specially marked cups. So, Andrew, I'll start with you. Which one of these topics uh, interests you the most? Um, um, well, I think the David Mann one interests me the most. Um, 
the fact that he was concerned about the people being down there on the banks, you know, how many people and how many people without masks and things like that, when opening day is tomorrow, um, knowing that those folks who are going to be in Great American Ballpark for the opening day of the Reds' ball, ball, um, the Reds' first game, there's going to bring a lot of people down to the banks, walking around with an open container. I, I think um, his concern should be should have been said for not just the group that's been down there before, but what's going to happen the rest of this week and what's going to happen now since entertainment is slowly opening back up again in the city because of the pandemic. So I think his comments come with a grain of salt. Everyone is very speculative about what's going to happen down there. And we just have to see if his comments remain, ring true tomorrow. Indeed. Michelle, which one of these stories um, interested you the most? It's funny that you should ask that because I find both of all of them interesting, quite interesting. But I'm looking at the one that's talking about the $2 trillion from the president. And then we have all this homelessness. They're talking about building up the streets. I'm, I'm kind of stuck on all of them because I want to know what their, their ultimate outcome is. Like David's talking about opening up the banks, but why are they even opening the banks? Why, why would they even allow any type of socialization like that when they don't have control over how they're going to allow them to socialize. I'm feeling heavy on a lot of them because I feel like there's something else going on. They're sending out double messages and they're not really putting their foot down what it really should be. They're saying, okay, well, you guys go ahead, do it. Let's see how super you are. America really don't care. So that I think they're kind of creating a genocide they're pushing people out to kill themselves. I know that probably sounds ugly, but that's how I feel. No, I, I agree with you to a certain point. I certainly think that they could have waited a little bit longer with the whole Dora thing, at least, at least until April, because, you know, today is the day when, you know, finally everyone can get vaccinated in Ohio. So I think they jumped the gun on that just a little bit. They could have waited just a little bit longer on that. Yeah, that's just my opinion. But also another topic that, you know, kind of disturbed me was the new voting law in Georgia. And, you know, some of those provisions that they added to the legislative is that you can't hand out food or water to people waiting in line. And that was just, that was just shocking to me. It's like, I think some people said it was like the new Jim Crow, basically you know, down in Georgia, you know, I've seen videos of people waiting in line to vote. They wait like eight, nine hours. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. I couldn't even imagine waiting in line to vote for eight and nine hours. And then especially if you're a senior citizen too, I'm just, it's crazy. And I just, and like someone said, it's new Jim Crow. It's very upsetting. I think it's very historical. Um, I think that, um, People have heard about Jim Crow, but never experienced it. Now they're getting a firsthand education on what occurred before 64, um, the Voting Rights Act and everything else. They're, they're getting a sense of what went on before. And when you have scared men acting out because they're afraid of the future, um, this is what you get. And unfortunately, there are not enough people calling them out and stopping them from what they're doing because 
it's not just Georgia. It's, there's like 42 states that have different bills similar to this because they're the, the power of the minority vote is so strong that it scares them ridiculously. So they're gonna try and change the game on us again. So we won't have a great impact where we're used to the game being changed. And that's what they don't get. When the game changes, we're like, okay. And we adapt and we go forward. And they don't get the fact that, you know, we, we've been adapting for decades, for generations. This is not new. I couldn't say it better myself. So that's all of our that's all of our topics so far. And now we're moving on to our main topic, which is about the Derek Chauvin trial. And like I said earlier, we have special guest Mel Reeves uh, with us today. And how are you doing today, Mel? I'm great. How about you all? Doing fantastic. So you were actually in the courtroom, uh, right? No, I wasn't in the courtroom. I'm part of the pool that is in the courtroom. Um, um, that, so I've been in the courtroom one day and uh, it's divided up among about, I don't know, about uh, 17 news organizations. So I'll be in again uh, on another day. But no, I was watching from the uh, actually what's called a media room next door to the courthouse. So, but I was watching it and I've been, as you can tell by what we've written, I'm, I'm playing, paying very close attention to what's going on and, and, and here in Minneapolis um, and we're writing about, you know, the climate, the temperature, et cetera, et cetera. So. Could you give us like, um, like today, uh, for example, like what was the most eye-opening thing that you witnessed today? A lot of eye-opening stuff. I think the thing that was really eye-opening was uh, seeing the, uh, uh, seeing the George Floyd takedown from the perspective of the, uh, the police uh, body camera. And uh, one of them revealed that uh, Officer King had his knee, and he's a pretty good-sized fella. He had his knee in, in George Floyd's back. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we were that aware. Of, I mean, I think it might have been mentioned, but seeing it was pretty stark. And you saw that all three were putting their weight on George Floyd. So he didn't have a chance. So that, that kind of stood out. Uh, also, you know, you've got a glimpse of American policing on some level. This It is what it is, you know. They accosted George Floyd, and now you got a chance to see why George Floyd may have panicked a bit because people shouldn't get arrested for passing a counterfeit $20 bill. And even, even if there was pushback, you know, the day they showed there was, you know, they came out, tried to talk to him to kind of rectify the situation, and he kind of didn't, uh, which I don't know why he didn't just drive off <laughs> some level. But uh, it showed why he might have panicked because who gets arrested for passing a $20 bill? And you noticed a few things that they were trying to charge him with forgery. So having possession of a counterfeit bill does not mean you forged it. So why did they make that leap? Uh, it showed you the leap that law enforcement make. Also, they pulled the gun on him. So you saw that they pulled, it, there was no reason to pull a gun on him. He hadn't done anything for them. He hadn't commit any major crime. So you really see the, the ridiculousness of US policing. His passengers got put up against the wall. They were forced to show ID, held my name. They hadn't done anything, they're just in the car. Uh, so they treated this as if this was a major, as if a major crime had occurred. And on some level, we don't want to be honest about it, but, you know, uh, that's how the police see us as potential criminals. You know, we are, you know, we exist <laughs> for the system to put us in our place. So, so that, that stood out. They did the film uh, from um, um, the uh, one officer's video that, that really was stark to me that uh, showed King with his knee. And also, 
you know, there's so many things. Also, you you hear him and you recognize that they're not responding. They they do respond. And one time they respond and say, what's wrong with me? He says, I can't breathe. Then uh, they're saying, relax. He says, I can't breathe. And then one says, well, you're talking. I've heard that before. The police are trained, and somebody told me this, that, to think that if somebody can talk, they can breathe. It's ridiculous. And so now you see that the police are also trying to be medical experts. They can check determine whether or not somebody can breathe when they say they can't breathe. But that's about the third time I've seen that. Uh, and I heard somebody say somewhere, I don't know where I picked this up, but some cop had said that they were trained to believe that you could breathe if you were talking. So anyway, a lot of stuff came out, but that's what stood out. I also have another question. What would you say to people, you know, who said, oh, well, George Floyd was a criminal, you know, if if he hadn't been a criminal, he wouldn't have been in this situation beginning because I'm, I'm, I still, unfortunately, I still hear a lot of people, especially right-wing pundits say that. What would you say to them? You know, they're they used to being saying, and uh, the old school chef is saying that uh, uh, when you ask something dumb, they say, I'm not going to dignify that with a response. So we're going to move on. Andrea, uh, do you have any questions? Can you see the jurors in the room? Or no, 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 I wasn't in there today, dear. But I no, was saying on camera where you were. Can you see them? No, you can't see the jurors. The jurors, the only way you can see the jurors is if you're actually in the courtroom. And okay. so when I was in the court the one day, you could see the jurors. So no, uh, I, I was just curious about the, the jurors' reaction to all of the, the youth that were testifying about what they saw. Um, um well, we have pool reporters who talked about it and uh, you know, there's a varied reaction. Some of them were, most of them were pretty attentive yesterday from what the people who were in the courtroom, they kind of report back to us. Uh, so you're not really getting much. I don't think there's a whole lot. I mean, I think maybe what may stand out is that maybe there's one particular juror that doesn't seem to be that engaged, but now the court has set it up so that you can't track them. So, you know, whoever juror one is today won't be juror one tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? So mm. it's kind of hard to track their reaction. Um, but it seems like they're paying attention. So I don't know if anybody had, I didn't see anything in the pool yesterday that said anybody had a real adverse reaction to anything, uh, which I could see because it's it's pretty emotional stuff. So I would think that, you know, one or two of the jurors are probably, I, I didn't look at it that hard yesterday. So to be honest with you, and I haven't, because I was actually watching it. So I didn't, so like now is when I'll go back and look and see what they pulled because, you know, we're right, we, we write updates. So right about now is when I'd be looking to see what I saw some of it, but nothing stood out. It just, the jurors were pretty attentive. Uh, they were taking notes, different things that uh, they wrote down of something that they, they took a note of uh, uh, that I remember they said just about everybody made a note of and I can't remember what it was. But anyway. Um, well, I, I know one thing that I read is that there are a lot of people were are suffering from survivor's guilt because they didn't yeah. do more to help George Floyd while watching or filming the scenario. Um, that was one article that came out um regarding that and I was just wondering if that's something that you're seeing from all the witnesses are they feeling some sense of guilt because at one point they're watching this unbelievable thing happen but at the same time they couldn't do more to help him because the police were in charge absolutely do you think that the um do you think the defense is looking to disparage George Floyd or they're tiptoeing around George Floyd to get to a way to sort of say what this officer did was not wrong, but right. 
so to speak. Well, yeah, if you watch any of the trial, everybody watching the trial knows that that's part of their defense. That's part of what the defense is using. They, 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 they you know, they've already disparaged him a few times. You know, they yesterday, the day before, they talked about him being a big black man. They've disparaged the witnesses. You know, the, the prosecution called them a, a beautiful bouquet of humanity. Uh, defense has called them a mob, um, you know, a rowdy mob. So, you know, um, they are, uh, they, you know, they're going to go after George. They're going to put George Floyd on trial. I mean, that, that was obvious from the beginning that they were going to do. I mean, they don't have a lot of options. And after the first few days, you know, it doesn't look good for the home team, as they say, you know. Uh, it's going to go on for a while, you know, the real emotional stuff will probably not drag on like it is with these first several witnesses. So that will kind of die down. But, um, you know, if they had to go into a jury room, I don't think what I don't care what judges say, they pretty much <laughs> pretty much be going to jail. I don't think anybody could though could see any of that and think, uh, no, nah, he died from something else. So what about the fact that um, it seemed that the defense was getting a little testy at times? when there was a pushback from witnesses on their questioning. Is that true or is that just perspective from seeing? No, the- I mean, if you're watching it, dear, you, you, you can, that, that, that's what you're seeing. That's, yeah, that was. That well, was, I mean, I haven't seen all of it. I've just, okay. from what yeah, I've what, read. What people are seeing is what they're seeing. I mean, yeah, there was some, there was some testiness yesterday, uh, especially with uh, Don Williams and the paramedic woman. Uh, you know, and she's just trying to get her truth out, you know, and I thought the judge talked down to her, you know what I'm saying? I think the judge talked down to the paramedic. Uh, he couldn't do, get, get away with that as much as Donald Williams, but I think they put out a lot of truth. They snuck it in. It's like the girl Don, Donella said, listen, you know, she says she stays awake at night. Uh, you know, she feels apologizing to George Floyd. She said, you know, it, it wasn't on me. She said at the end of the day, it was on him is what uh, Derek Chauvin should have done. What about the, have they made any comment about the other police officers around Chauvin? Yeah. Like, they, they, what they, should, should they have done as well? Has that come up at all? <laughs> no, it hasn't come up. They, they've not come up. They just showed the film today. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle, do you have any questions um, for Mr. Reeves? Well, I do. I have more than, of a statement than anything because okay. what they're doing to our kings at this time is what they've been doing for years gone back and they're going to continue. It's just saddens me that they actually have to take all of these witnesses through this undue pain that they're already experiencing. They don't need any added, added, excuse me, added help to feel what they're feeling. And um, just his whole demeanor and the whole setup says guilty. And my, I guess I could ask you a question, Mr. Reeves, is does it look like they're going to draw this out? Are they going to try to make this quick and out of the way trial get it over with so so let me let me tease you out a little bit so um the legal thing is not my strength i mean i like anything else i pay attention to i i couldn't tell you how they're going to do this what my absolute strength is is talking about social and political stuff and analyzing it so uh the, the strength they have me on the show is i'm gonna tell you how i really see it and here's how i really see it to y'all's point so the uh, trial is set up so to stay in, in certain parameters right and so what's going on is they're saying, we're just gonna look just at the facts, right? But the problem with this is that you're seeing real human beings express real human emotions, right? So George Floyd was murdered and, and the witnesses are really making the case that George Floyd was murdered and we feel something about it, you see? And the system's like, well, we're gonna give him a fair trial. 
we're going to look at this. And so just tell us what happened, just the facts. But what comes out of this shows you how egregious this thing is, is that people can't just give the facts, right, without having a, a certain opinion about it, a feeling about it. And that comes out very well. That And I said, and I texted today, I said, you know, uh, Mr. McMillan broke down this thing. And I said, what's going on is the, the, the trial judge and the system wants to sanitize this thing. And the, the witnesses aren't letting them do it. And I said, humans won, system nothing. So what's going on, y'all, is that even the defense, even the prosecution in the opening argument talked about uh, that this is not a trial uh, about a referendum on policing. And then the defense said, oh, it's not about politics or social justice. It's exactly about that. I hope y'all, I hope in the future y'all read the stuff I'm writing about it because um, I'm really, we're really articulating I'm from political and social perspective as a black person who knows this stuff. We're talking about these issues that are at play. Like we talked about the problem with uh, the trial uh, bringing in people who had relatives who were police or, or friends, and then they didn't bring on number 70, juror number 76, and we wrote about that extensively. He has a lived experience. Here's the, the other issues that we can discuss. There's some issues around it I can talk about very intelligently. Uh, they didn't bring on this black man who lived in South Minneapolis, who had a lived experience as an African-American man. Most of the jurors, with the exception of probably the 60-year-old black woman, they've got two African immigrants who don't have lived experience that African-Americans who uh, parents are descended from slavery on some level in Africa. Uh, we've had one black woman who has black skin, she's mixed race, but she doesn't have a black experience. She grew up in a small town uh, up in uh, central Minnesota, and she said, understand, none of her friends are black. Uh, she don't have a people of color as friends. She learned about racism through some acquaintances that are people of color. So that's going to, that's going to, that could play out a certain way because they don't, you know, I can't get in their heads, but I can tell you that just on the surface, they don't necessarily have African-American experiences, uh, traditional African-American, and they may not identify with George Floyd. So that's an issue they can talk about. The other issue that uh, I thought we could talk about is the fact that, um, and you can see it all over the country. So with this being up on the screen all over the country, you realize policing has not changed. And in your city, uh, I'm very familiar with your city. I have a friend that lives there, does a lot of uh, really good uh, uh, political work. Um, and uh, you all may be familiar with him now, for whatever reason, I'm blanking his name. Brian, um, okay, I think of Brian's last name. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll find it for you. But anyway, um, the police are still not trying to be held accountable. You, we, we wrote a story, and you'll see it on our site. Uh, we wrote a story just the other day about the police jumping on a kid in the middle of this. In, in the middle of what's going on, a kid punched. There was a controversy about the kid, the cops had grabbed the wrong person who had stolen the car, right? So the people came out because there was all this commotion. And so the young people were, were like trying to point out to the cops that they had the wrong person. They were trying to get the kid's parents there. Cops didn't want to wait. So, you know, it was a lot of kids around and the cops got upset about it. And so the kids were following the cops because the cops removed the kid to another plot. I don't know, don't know where they thought they were going. Anyway, some kid and the cops getting a debate or whatever. And this cop swings on this kid. Yeah, it's on, it's on, it's, uh, you can find the video and jumps on him and starts punching him. And it's like, what's going on here? In St. Paul, they had a no knock warrant and they, uh, they went to this lady's house, her 18 year old kid, the 18 year old, the warrant was for, he was there surrendering himself. And for whatever reason, the deputies kept going in the house and they grabbed her 11 year old and picked him up on, 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 off the ground by his neck, choking him. So, you know, so what's going on on some level here, folks, is that, that you would think that with all that's going on, the police might take a step back, but they're not. 
they're still pushing forward, which says that, you know, we're going to have to continue this struggle. You know, and people are going to, have to double their efforts. This is not going to go away. I mean, we can talk about trial all we want, whatever, but the trial just is a microcosm of what's going on. The trial is actually revealing the problem of police violence. Because what you saw today was when the police accosted George Floyd, they did it with a gun. Why would you pull a pistol on a man? You came to respond to a counterfeit $20 bill. If that was in the suburbs, you just write a ticket and kept stepping, keep stepping. Not only did they 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 criminalize him right away, but if you, in the film today, they're charging him. They're going to arrest him for forgery. Now, because he had a counterfeit, doesn't mean he forged it. You see what they do? They mm -hmm. took the passengers out, lined them up against the wall, demanded to see their ID. They criminalized everybody involved and overcriminalized. And so you get a chance. What's on display is the American system of policing. And so the questions that we got to start asking y'all is that how are we going to stop this? How are we going to end this? And we got to put pressure on Cincinnati and Minneapolis and Columbus, you know, in Cleveland and New York and Detroit and Miami and L.A., New Jersey. We've got to say, hey, you, you, you have to hold these people accountable. If you don't hold them accountable, then we don't have to really listen to anything you say. Then this ain't, we don't live in a democracy. You know what I'm saying? Then, then tell us. Let us know if the rules are different. But they're not holding the cops accountable, y'all. And so what has to come out of this is we got to fight even more. There's got to be even more pro. In fact, uh, one of the things we were involved in, I'm involved in, with Brian Taylor's his name, and uh, out of Cincinnati and uh, uh, some folks out of Boston uh, uh, and around the country, we've been bringing families together and demanding that the families, demanding that the, that the, that the states reopen the case, that the government reopen all the cases of police violence. That's right. All oh, that sounds like something that can't happen. But if we continue to, to protest and fight for it, they, something's going to have to give. Y'all know that something's going to, the police can't keep running around beating up on folks, killing folks. Something's going to have to give. Because at some point, folks are going to get to the point where, you know, they become desperate. And once people get to the point where they feel like they have nothing to lose, then it's on. And, and the system doesn't quite want to get there, but they're testing us. Because to, to jump on some kids in this environment, it's like one of the kids said to me, it's like they're throwing their finger up. He said, brother, man, it's like they're saying, F you, what you going to do about it? And the other thing they're trying to do, he says, is they're trying to get us to get violent with them so they can shoot us. So so those those are the real issues come, that are surrounding this trial, y'all. I'm not an attorney, so I can't get into the weeds about what exactly how the defense is going to go. But I can tell you that the defense said early on that they're going to prove that Derek Chauvin was doing the job he was trained for. Now, think about that. So if Derek Chauvin did the job he was trained for, what does that say about the system of policing in the U.S.? That, you know what I'm saying? If, if he gets off on that, then all then we can stop pretending. <laughs> we we can put all the pretense down, start talking about, because a lot of black people still talking about whether well, it's good cops and bad cops and whatever, you know, it ain't that bad. It's just some people know. If he's doing the job that, that they supposedly was trained for, then it's what I say all the time. The system of policing is bad and and all of us justice-minded folks have to decide, we've got to make up our mind that we need that we need that we want to get rid of the system of policing as we know it, not defund and all that. And continue to demand like we always do here. And you hear that defund thing. I don't know where it came from, but that's not what we demand. We demand that the police be prosecuted. We always say jail the killer cops and reopen the cases. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going on. But you can go to our site, spokesmanrecorded.com, and you can see, you know, what we're thinking. You know, we've got some pretty good editorials. Uh, in fact, I got a write-up today uh, about what I thought today. And like I told you all, I think what summed up today was, the human beings came for you saw the humanity and the courts trying to squeeze it out of this trial but you can't 
you know what I'm saying? What happened to George was so egregious that you can't squeeze out the, you can't set aside the human emotion. You can't ignore it. I don't think the jurors gonna be able to, I don't know how the sins gonna come out. And let me just tell you that most people in our community don't believe that he'll be convicted. And I think that's true for most of the country because they've not seen it happen before. It's like, uh, who said it before? One family member said that. Yeah, I was talking to, actually, I interviewed my Uber driver the other day. And I asked her, sister, what do you think? She said, you know, I hope they put that dude in jail. She said, but, you know, we've been disappointed time and time and time again. She said, I hope for the best, but I'm not so sure they're going to convict him. So think about where we are. Here we saw a man. So this is what we got to talk about. Here we saw a man get murdered. We all saw it. We saw what mm-hmm. we saw. Like the open attorney said the other day, we saw what we saw and we saw a murder. Think about that. And now we have the system of jurisprudence. Yes, he has a right to trial, no doubt. But it almost is like they're bending over backwards to try to seem to make this appear legit, right? And you don't see, right. I mean, you're right, companies have been coming out saying we're going to do some extra stuff. But you don't see city government saying, hey, in Cincinnati, they didn't come to y'all and say, you know, what's been happening is pretty bad. Y'all are right. We need to hold these cops accountable. That's not what's going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like a kid, right, that did, your kid did something bad. Instead of saying, you say, hey, what'd you do? Instead of saying, and you say, what you did was wrong, right? Instead of that, he tries to stick to what he did that was wrong. And he know, everybody knows it was wrong. But he's trying to hold on to it and pretend that wrong is right. right. So I'll stop talking. But that's my strength, y'all. I know attorney, but I can take the legal stuff and talk about how, like I like to say, it may be legal, but that don't make it right. Right. No, right. that's um, that's very good stuff. Um, but yeah, like you said, we gotta go. Um, but <clears throat> that was definitely a fascinating discussion that we had. Um, I want to thank you, Mr. Reeves, for coming on today. Make sure you check out the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder to see more coverage of Derek Chauvin, and make sure you check out all the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. Follow us on Facebook at The Cincinnati Herald. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also follow us on YouTube. Just search for The Herald TV. And you can also follow us on TikTok at The Cincinnati Herald. And one more thing, make sure you get vaccinated because in the state of Ohio, anyone over the age of 16 is now eligible to get a vaccination shot. So I'm your co-host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.